Hi, and welcome to Crash Course Catholicism, a podcast about Catholic teaching and why it makes sense. I'm your host, Caitlin West. Welcome to our first of two episodes on the seventh commandment, which is you shall not steal. So in this episode, we're going to think about this commandment on a kind of personal, individual level. Okay, what does it mean to steal from others? And then in the next episode, we'll think about this commandment on a kind of broader sociopolitical scale. So to understand the church's teachings in this area, we need to begin with Two key principles, which the Catechism lays out in point 2402. The first principle is that the goods of creation are destined for the whole human race. So in other words, the stuff of this world is for everyone. Secondly, though, it says that the appropriation of property is legitimate for guaranteeing the freedom and dignity of persons and for helping each of them meet his basic needs. So in other words, we also have the right to own private property. So how do these two principles work together? Everything is for everyone, but I have the right to own my own stuff. How can both of these things be true? Because it sounds like a kind of a paradox. Well, Think of it like this. Think of it like a family home, right? Parents and siblings all living together under one roof. Now, in the family home, ultimately, everything is kind of for everyone. So the house and all the stuff in the house, like the rooms and the furniture and the food, it's all for everyone to share. However, within that, there might be things that are specifically yours. So maybe you have your bed or your bedroom or your clothes, etc. Now, it's not only necessary, it's good for each member of the family to have their own stuff because we're all individuals, right, with different needs. However, even the things that are legitimately yours in the home are not exclusively, absolutely your own. So there may be situations where you are required to share your stuff with other members of the family. For example, maybe your parents have another kid and that means that you have to share your bedroom with one of your siblings. Or maybe your little sister has outgrown all of her winter clothes and she doesn't have a warm jumper and you've got like 10 in your closet. So your mom asks you to give one of your jumpers to her. So it's the same on a kind of larger scale with the goods of the earth. It's good for us to have our own things. We have a right to private property. But as the catechism says in point 2403, The right to private property does not do away with the original gift of the earth to the whole of mankind. So ultimately, everything in the great big family home that is the earth is for everyone. And we call this the universal destination of goods. And this is partly because we're a family and we're called to love each other and take care of each other. But also, as the catechism notes, creation is a gift from God. It doesn't belong ultimately completely to us. I don't know if you ever had that experience as a kid where like there was something that you didn't want to share with your siblings, like one of your toys or something. And your parents' response was like, well, you know, technically that toy doesn't really belong to you. We actually bought it. We paid for it. And then we gave it to you. And that means that as your parents, we have the right to ask you to share it with your sibling. So it's the same with the goods of the earth. Ultimately, the only person who has an absolute claim on them is God. And he has a right to ask us to share our stuff with those who are in legitimate need. 
Okay, so those are the underlying principles that sit under the church's teachings on the seventh commandment, the universal destination of goods, which is complemented and balanced by a genuine right to private property. And as Christians, we're called to always try to keep those two things in balance. If we focus entirely on one of them, we end up in trouble. So an overemphasis on the universal destination of goods leads us to a kind of socialist mindset that ultimately deprives people of their individuality, their dignity, and their basic rights. However, an overemphasis on the other end of the scale, on private ownership, leads us to this kind of radically individualistic mindset that doesn't take into account the needs of others. So on a practical level, what does it mean to practice these two principles? How do I balance my needs with the needs of others? Is there, for instance, a limit on how much stuff I can own? Well, the specifics of each person's situation will be different and unique. But I think Pope Leo XIII summarizes it perfectly when he says, Once the demands of necessity and propriety have been met, the rest that one owns belongs to the poor. Honestly, I think that is a quote that we should all frame and put on our walls and look at every day for the rest of our lives to remind us. Once the demands of necessity and propriety have been met, the rest that one owns belongs to the poor. Now, it's important to note here that Pope Leo refers to the demands of propriety and not just necessity. So it's not just a matter of owning only the most basic fundamental things that we need to survive. Okay, We're not being asked to get around in like sackcloth and live off bread and water. We also need to consider what is proper and appropriate to our state of life. So, for instance... I might be, you know, married with six kids. So maybe it's appropriate for me to own a six bedroom home. However, if I am a single 25 year old who like invested in Bitcoin in the 2010s and made some ridiculous amount of money, and then I decide to buy myself a six bedroom mansion just for me, okay, maybe that is not appropriate for me in my state of life. Maybe I should buy a smaller house, still a nice house, that's fine, but nothing too extravagant. And give the rest of the money to the poor. And we have to remember here that giving away the rest of that money would not be me doing some incredible above and beyond thing. Pope Leo says that the rest that one owns belongs to the poor. The poor have a genuine moral claim to those extra things that we don't need. So this is where we can think about, you know, what are those extra things in my house, in my wardrobe, in my storage cupboard that I'm holding on to? You know, maybe I have like two Nutribullets because I got one for Christmas or I have an extra iPhone just in case. Maybe there is someone in my life who needs those things more and might even have a kind of moral claim to them. Now, this requirement that we share our goods with others isn't just limited to money and stuff. So point 2405 of the Catechism says that goods of production, including practical or artistic skills, oblige their possessors to employ them in ways that will benefit the greatest number. So in other words, if there's something that I'm good at, a skill that I have, I should try to find ways to use that skill to the benefit of others and not just myself. 
So for instance, maybe, you know, I'm a really amazing musician or a painter, or I'm really handy around the house. Okay, great. How can I use that skill to benefit others? Maybe the best way to do that is to pursue a career in that thing, to start a band or exhibit my paintings or start my own business. That's fantastic. But we can also think of the kind of smaller and maybe less exciting ways of helping others with our talents. So maybe I can join the church choir, or maybe I can paint a picture for my friend for her birthday or help to fix my grandma's broken fridge. You know, just like with the stuff we own, the skills and talents that we have are gifts from God and should be put at the disposal of others. Point 2405 also says that those who hold goods should use them with moderation, reserving the better part for guests, for the sick and the poor. So here, the church is prompting us to share what we have generously, not just doing the bare minimum, but really giving the best of what we have to those who need it. When we were growing up, um, if we ever like went out and nice food was being handed around, my mum would always lean over and say to us, don't forget to leave the biggest piece for someone else. <laughs> I think that's a really good principle that can be applied to most things, right? It, like It's good to have stuff, have nice stuff and to enjoy it, but always try to leave the biggest piece for someone else. Now, It's all well and good to say all of this and talk about these ideals of how we should share things with other people and be generous, etc. But how do we actually do this? Because I think most people, if you ask them, would say that they would like to live in this way. We would all love to be another Mother Teresa or St. Francis, you know, give away all of our stuff to the poor. But when push comes to shove, it's easier said than done. So there's this, there's this great bit in an Australian comedy show called We Can Be Heroes, where this wealthy private school girl called Jemay decides to give away a bag of her clothes to someone in need. And she's sitting there with this poor girl going through this bag of clothes. And every time she pulls out an item of clothing and goes to give it to her, she takes another look at it and realizes that she actually quite likes it and decides to keep it for herself. And this poor girl basically ends up with nothing. And that can so easily be us, right? Like we have all the best intentions. We go to give away our spare iPhone, but then we immediately start thinking about all the reasons why maybe I do need to keep it after all, or maybe I might need it in the future. Or maybe we walk past someone who's asking for money on the street and we come up with a million excuses for why we can't give them anything right now. Sometimes that gap between wanting to be generous and actually being generous can feel kind of insurmountable. So what do we do? How do we conquer it? Well, the Catechism in point 2407 talks about how we have to begin by practicing virtue in our everyday life. So the first stop isn't the grand sweeping gesture, right? The first stop is those everyday virtues that we develop bit by bit throughout our lives. So we begin with temperance. This is a virtue that we talked a lot about in episode 39. Temperance is the virtue of saying no to ourselves, of stopping when we've had enough. The Catechism says that it moderates our attachment to this world's goods. So we can practice the virtue of temperance in tiny ways throughout our day just by asking ourselves, do I really need this? Because there's a difference between a need and a desperate desire for something, okay? Do I need to buy that third coffee or could I put that money aside for something or someone else? Do I need to impulse buy a fifth pair of Nike Air Maxes or can I get away with just one or two? So temperance will help us to develop a healthy detachment from the stuff in our lives. And then the catechism goes on to talk about the virtue of justice. 
Thomas Aquinas defines justice as giving God and neighbor their due. So we can practice this virtue by trying to do just that, giving the people around us the things that are due to them. So maybe that means, you know, doing my jobs at home or being respectful to my parents or my teachers or my boss, doing my work well, fulfilling my obligations, going to Sunday mass. (laughs) When we actively try to live this virtue of justice, we will slowly develop a greater sensitivity to what exactly it is that we owe to others. And then a third virtue is generosity. In Matthew 5.40, our Lord says, If anyone wants to take your shirt, give your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. So as Christians, we are called to be generous with others. And we can practice this virtue again in little tiny ways throughout the day by asking ourselves, could I give a little bit more right now? How can I give the bigger piece to someone else? So that might mean letting someone go in front of you in the checkout line or offering someone a lift home, even though it's a little bit out of your way. Or maybe, you know, you're just settling down to watch your favorite Scandi noir crime show in the evening and then a friend calls you. Okay, pick up the phone, give yourself. And the more that we give, you know, it's like flexing a muscle. The more that we give, the easier it becomes to give and to give more. And then finally, and really most importantly, the virtue of charity and solidarity with others. And this one is so important because if we are giving our things and our time and our skills out of a sense of obligation or guilt, then we're not really going to be able to keep it up for very long and we'll probably ultimately become quite resentful. But if we really, truly deeply love others, if we see Christ in them and we actively want the best for them, then we will naturally desire to give, to sacrifice ourselves for them. You know, this it will no longer be an effort. It will just be something that comes naturally to us. So this is a virtue that we need to constantly be asking God for. In fact, this goes for all of the virtues, but especially charity. We need to continually ask God for his grace so that we can live these virtues better. Now, This is where we get to the fun bit, where we talk about all the sins against the seventh commandment, all the ways that we can steal from others. Actually, no, before we do that, let's quickly talk about what does not constitute stealing. So point 2408 says that there is no theft if consent can be presumed or if refusal is contrary to reason and the universal destination of goods. This is the case when the only way to provide for immediate essential needs is to use the property of others. So in other words, it's not stealing if you're taking something that you urgently and truly need. So an example that we can think of here is Les Mis, which is a book by Victor Hugo that was made into a the greatest musical of all time. So in Les Mis, the character Jean Valjean is arrested and sentenced to hard labor for stealing a mouthful of bread. And it's made really clear in the novel slash musical that this punishment is totally unjust because Valjean and his family were starving and they needed that food to survive. So those are the kinds of situations where, you know, technically, legally, we might be able to say that someone was stealing. But if we consider that underlying principle of the universal destination of goods, we can see that actually someone who's starving has a moral fundamental right to a mouthful of bread or even to many mouthfuls of bread. 
Okay, so those are situations that don't count as stealing. But what does count as stealing? You know, sometimes we think of stealing in a very sort of black and white way. Like we think of someone breaking into a house and taking grandma's pearls or, you know, shoplifting or ripping a toy out of a child's hands. And we might think, oh, well, you know, I haven't done any of those things, so I don't need to worry about this commandment. Well, first of all, if you've ever downloaded music or movies illegally, then you kind of have. Secondly, there are actually many other ways that we can steal from others, perhaps less directly, but still in a manner that constitutes theft. So the Catechism gives the following examples and gird your loins because there are quite a few. And actually, you know, while we go through this list, it could be useful to sort of do a bit of an examination of conscience or maybe to come back to this list later when you're preparing for confession or whatever. Because, I mean, I say that because when I was first reading this list, I was going through everything being like, yep, 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 I've done that. (laughs) Turns out it's actually really easy to steal. (laughs) So the Catechism gives the following examples. The deliberate retention of goods lent or objects lost. If someone loans me something and I quote unquote forget to give it back, even though I know that they want it back, that counts as stealing. So does finding something that someone has lost and keeping it. And this is a really easy one to fall into. I know I've definitely done it before where you find something that's been lost and you pick it up and you think, oh, I will definitely hand that into lost property. And then you kind of forget slash can't be bothered and then you keep putting it off and then you tell yourself that you'll do it, but you never actually get around to it. And then you kind of really like it. And then six months later, it's like fully incorporated into your stuff. Okay, that is a form of stealing. And the seriousness of it will obviously depend on how significant the thing is and how much we've kind of deliberately kept it or how much we've actually just genuinely forgotten. Okay, and then some other examples include business fraud, forging checks and invoices, and corruption. Okay, so those ones are kind of obvious. And then there's also paying unjust wages. And this one is kind of like a kind of stealing by omission. So rather than taking something away from someone, you're just refusing to give them something that they have a right to. Another example that the catechism gives is forcing up prices by taking advantage of the ignorance or hardship of another and speculation in which one contrives to manipulate the price of goods to gain an advantage to the detriment of others. Okay, so it's very wordy, but basically it's referring to situations where you're manipulating the system to make an economic profit at the expense of others, particularly of the poor and the disadvantaged. Another example is the appropriation and use for private purposes of the common goods of an enterprise. So, in other words, swiping stuff from work. (laughs) Now, of course, there are situations where it's fine to take home stuff from work. And we can go back here to the idea that it's not theft if consent can be presumed. So everyone knows that you can take the branded pens home from work. Like, that's fine. But... If I'm routinely taking stuff from work and using it for my own private life, or if while I'm at work, I'm using work stuff for my own purposes, so I'm like using the Wi-Fi to browse social media for hours, or I'm like printing off copies of my self-published fan fiction Lord of the Rings spinoff on the work printer, okay, that is a form of stealing. And then on a related note, the Catechism talks about work poorly done as a form of stealing. When you think about it, this makes sense, right? Like when I contract myself to a workplace, I'm entering into an agreement with them to do a certain amount of work every day. 
if I turn in shoddy work or I spend most of my time at work, you know, at the coffee machine having a chat to my friends and then I fit in my work in the last like hour of the day. Okay. In that situation, I'm actually taking something from the company that is owed to them by virtue of the agreement that I've made. And this actually goes for any contract or promise that I make. If I have formally committed myself to do something and others are relying on me, then I have a moral duty to follow through on that commitment, provided that I'm not being asked to do something immoral. So Peter Crave talks about how promises bind us to each other. Without trust in promises, society cannot hold together. So it should always mean something when I give my word. And then another example of stealing, according to the catechism, is tax evasion, chucking a Gerard Depardieu. Okay, tax evasion is basically the adult equivalent of a child, like clutching all of their toys to its chest and screaming, but they're mine. Okay, we'll go into this more in the next episode. But basically, the catechism talks about how paying taxes is in line with the demands of justice and the universal destination of goods. And then there's excessive expense and waste. That is a big one. And I think it's one that we all fall into at different points, especially, you know, in the kind of consumeristic fast fashion world that we live in. And here we have to return to the idea that things aren't ultimately exclusively ours. We're just the stewards of the goods of the world. So when I waste those things or I use them excessively, I'm not only potentially depriving other people of those things, I'm also misusing stuff that God has entrusted to me. And then there's willfully, this is a long, I told you it was a long list. I bet you're like, oh my gosh, this list will never end. It will end. Okay. Then there's willfully damaging private or public property. So when something doesn't belong to me, I don't have the right to damage it or to misuse it. And like, I mean, look, probably most of us aren't going around like graffitiing or, you know, setting fire to other people's mailboxes. But one way that we might fall into this is simply by not taking care of other people's things. If someone loans me something and I leave it on the floor or, you know, at the bottom of my bag and then it gets damaged, that can be a sin against this commandment because I'm showing a lack of respect for the private property of another person. And in fact, we can even apply this idea to our own stuff that we own. I mean, we shouldn't get scrupulous about it, but it is true that I have a responsibility to look after the things that I own as well as I can because they're not exclusively mine and I don't want to fall into that sin of waste. So, for instance, you know, if I'm buying a new phone every three months because I can't be bothered to put a case on my phone and I keep breaking it, okay, maybe that's something that I need to address. So point 2413 also talks about gambling as potentially a form of stealing. It says that games of chance or wages are not in themselves contrary to justice, but they can become so when they deprive someone of what is necessary to provide for his needs and those of others. So in other words, you know, it's fine to bet on the outcome of a footy game with your mates. okay? but once I start to spend excessive money that should be spent on the necessities of life, then I'm committing a sin. Gambling can also fall under that label of waste if we're losing significant sums of money, even if it isn't money that we strictly desperately need. The Catechism goes on to say that cheating at games constitutes grave matter. So it's actually a mortal sin to cheat unless unless the damage is so slight that it cannot be reasonably considered significant. Okay, so it's not a mortal sin to cheat at Scrabble. <laughs> well, maybe it's a venial sin. It depends on the circumstances. But 
If I'm actually earning significant money from cheating, okay, that is really serious. Now, when it comes to stealing from others, point 2412 says that reparation requires the restitution of stolen goods to their owner. So in other words, if we steal from others, it's not enough to just say sorry. We also need to return those goods to their owners, if at all possible. So here we can think of Zacchaeus telling Jesus that he'll pay back anyone he's cheated four times over. And this makes sense if we think about it. Like, imagine if you stole a book from your friend, okay, and it's been sitting on your shelf for like five years. And eventually you go to that person and you say to them, look, I just want to say I'm really sorry that I stole your book. And your friend is like, oh, thank you for saying that. I forgive you. Can I please have the book back now? And you're like, no. (laughs) Okay, here we can see how it's kind of incoherent for us to say that we're sorry for stealing if we're not prepared to then return those goods. Now, for any nerds out there who want to think more about this, I recommend reading and rereading Claudia's speech from Act 3, Scene 3 of Hamlet, the one that starts, Oh, My Offenses Rank. And in this speech, he talks about being in exactly this predicament where you want to say sorry, but you're not quite ready to relinquish the things that you've stolen. It is a profound speech, and it is one of my favourite bits of Shakespeare ever. Okay, and then a couple of other things before we wrap this one up. First of all, point 2414 says that the seventh commandment forbids acts or enterprises that lead to the enslavement of human beings. So we are forbidden from participating in things that involve slavery. Now, the way that this one might affect us most is in the things that we buy, particularly our clothes. This is a great moment in Doctor Who, where the Doctor and his companion Donna, best companion of all time, end up on this planet where humans have enslaved this alien race called the Ood. And Donna is completely outraged. She's so angry. She's like, this is disgusting. How could any civilized society use slavery? It's just horrible. I'm so angry. And then the Doctor just looks at her and he's like, Donna, where do you think your clothes come from? (laughs) Honestly, when I watched that episode, it hit me so hard because it is so true. Like, often and particularly in more developed countries, right? We forget about slavery because we can't see it, but it is there and it's a serious reality. So buying fair trade or checking out the, you know, the production line of a company before you buy from it, that's not just something for hippies. That's actually a serious moral responsibility that we all have as consumers. And then finally, and this might seem a little bit random, but the catechism talks about animals and how we treat animals and the rest of the created world. And this actually makes sense when we consider that this commandment is ultimately all about how we are the stewards of this earth and we should use it wisely. So point 2416 says that animals are God's creatures. By their mere existence, they bless him and give him glory. Thus, men owe them kindness. So animals are created beings that should be treated well. We can absolutely love them, especially our pets, right? We should love them. That's a good thing. Point 2418 talks about how we should never cause animals to suffer or die needlessly. At the same time, it goes on to say that we shouldn't direct to animals the affection due only to persons. Animals lack that spiritual dimension that would elevate them to the dignity of a human person. They're not humans. So what does that mean? Well, it means that it is permissible for us as the stewards of creation to use animals for food and clothing 
and medical research, provided that we remain within reasonable moral bounds. Okay, so we're not causing the animal to suffer or die needlessly, and we're contributing to the care for and saving of human lives. So that one is a bit of a delicate balance. I would love to do a full episode on it sometime, actually. I would love to do an episode on veganism and vegetarianism. Anyway, for now, I hope that that little introduction is clear. Okay, so that is all that we have time for today. Next episode, we're going to consider how these principles apply to broader social and political life. Awesome. Sick one. Can't wait. Have a fantastic fortnight and I will talk to you soon. Bye.